Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bet It Right show in conjunction with BetItRight.com. We're back for another episode, and this is uh, a brand new uh, podcast that brings the football data to your door. Each week, we'll update you on the key numbers and metrics that you can use to help you show off in front of your mates and allow you to bet better. So, as I'm sure you all know by now, but make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your mates about it and make sure you get involved with us at BetItRight.com. Now, we record this on a Thursday, so we won't know the outcomes to the Liverpool versus Leicester game or the Wolves-Arsenal game. So in our discussions as we look ahead to the weekend's fixtures, we will obviously be without that information. But that hasn't um, hasn't stopped us, obviously, uh, looking into extensively a few Premier League games, which we'll get onto in a moment. But Dean, uh, my sidekick on the Bet It Right show, uh, alongside me once again, big Big week of, of football, big midweek results, notably for Newcastle, who have moved out of the relegation zone. That was a big win for them. Yeah, who who did they beat? Again, I didn't see the game. <laughs> Everton. You're a Liverpool fan, though, so we can sort of... Oh, Everton. Everton, yeah. Never heard of them. Yeah, yeah. massive win for Newcastle. And we'll talk about Everton, like you said, in a little bit with their upcoming game against Leeds. But what a huge three points. I don't know if you caught the game, but did, uh, yeah. St James's part was rocking... Alan St. Maximum, when he fancies it, I mean, the guy's just a hero, isn't he? Just he a... There, there's a clip doing the rounds at the moment on social media of his highlights from the game, and, and he is box office, isn't he? Yeah. The, the, the concern is that despite the fact, I mean, I guess they can pay him what, what he wants now, but you'd have to think one of the, the big clubs in world football would be after him, wouldn't you? They have to be. They have to be. He's one of those players, every single time you get he gets the ball, you, you, you just, I know it's such a cliche, but... You just don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes I don't think he knows what's going to happen. And there's there was one part in the game where he drove into the box off the left-hand side and it was like that old Maradona clip where there was eight players around him. Yeah. And there were basically eight players around, eight, eight Everton players around him. They won the ball, they got a corner. But every single time he gets the ball, if he can stay fit, he's just going to be, he's so important to Eddie Howe's chances of keeping Newcastle up. Uh, we, we asked the question, didn't we? And this is going to be the debate topic conversation topic on this week's show um who does go down uh we posed that question on twitter and and i think ash or callum whoever's in charge of our twitter accounts tried to troll fans of your club dean by saying will lampard get everton relegated and a few people said that was a bit unfair on lampard but but everton are now in the they're in the zone aren't they they're in the they're in the danger area who do you think will will go down yeah, we are in the danger area, and we're we are one. You know, we are one of the only clubs to have never have been relegated. I think it's us and Arsenal. And I can remember back when I was a young boy, God, only like five years ago, uh, and we survived on the last day of the season against Wimbledon, a game I think Hans Sager's got arrested for match fixing, and Barry Horn, Graham Stewart, three two. I was I remember I was crying, I was losing my mind, and that was kind of the last time when it was, you know. We were right in there, and I—I I don't know what's going to happen with the squad. It's having watched the Newcastle game, and and we'll talk about it with the, with the upcoming game against Leeds. I look at the squad and I think we've got too much to go down. But then you know teams have done it in the past. But then I look at who's in the bottom three now, and I think to myself, well, I think Burnley are really going to struggle because they just can't score goals. No winning ten games, eleven draws, one win, scored seventeen goals. I just don't see how they get out of it. Uh, with draws are not going to be enough. Watford, again, I think Hodgson's going to struggle. 
to get them moving forward. And then it's one of another group. If you go down from Palace, Palace, I think I'll have enough. Brentford are on a slippery slide, five defeats in a row. Mm. Christian Eriksen, who we didn't mention last week, an unbelievable signing for them. Will he play? I still can't get my head around that so much. Terrifying thought, isn't it? Oh, it you know. Yeah, having watched the, the game live, the Denmark game, having watched that live and, yeah, I mean, crazy. Um, Leeds, Everton, Newcastle. I think it's going to be between a straight shootout between Norwich and Brentford myself for the third really? spot. With Burnley and Watford, I'm already nailing them, you know, putting a big heavy weight around their neck and they're, they're sunk. They're gone. Well, Norwich have... Norwich have on a decent run at the moment under Dean Smith. He's got them Yeah, better. unbeaten. The, the, the next four games are going to be key for Norwich. They've got City and Liverpool and then followed by Leeds and Brentford. Right. So if they come out, of, you'd expect them to come out of City and Liverpool with zero points, right? So that just bumps the confidence a bit and then it's bang, right, we need to get up for these Leeds and, and Brentford games. If they come out of that with points, then maybe. But if they lose against Leeds, lose against Brentford... I think that Brentford-Norwich will be the big shootout right there because I do think Leeds will probably have too much. What about yeah, yourself? Who do you think? Who do you think? I, well, definitely agree with you, Burnley and, and Watford. Although Watford, I, it's a tough ask, but I did think they looked a bit more organised, admittedly, in a small sample, just in the, the game against West Ham that I watched. They, they seemed a bit better than... I mean, I watched them against Norwich and I honestly thought they were hopeless and I triple-captained... Sorry, I, I captained Emmanuel Dennis, who got sent off in the first game with a double game week in FPL. So that I've just they couldn't that... have been worse, though. Literally, your benchmark of the Norwich game is not a great benchmark because I mean, I was amazed, like, at how bad, just how bad they were. I also thought Emmanuel Dennis looked prior to him getting sent off looked hopeless. Like his touches were shocking, and everyone was obviously sort of you know siding with him in FPL because he was scoring goals and stuff. But just from start to finish, I thought they were awful. Anyway, they were a bit better against West Ham. They'll go down. Burnley, I agree with you. Uh, Weghorst, again, he's an interesting signing, but he's going to have to really produce something magic to keep them up. I said to someone, I said Norwich are an absolute certainty at 1-10 to 10 to go down earlier in the season, and now I'm sort of terrified. Not that I backed it. <laughs> but, no, yeah, um, not that I backed it. The old gamblers, uh, no, yeah. I didn't like it. I don't know. I, th I yeah. I, I think Norwich will probably go down. To be honest, I think Brentford will probably just survive. But um, there we are. Timestamp it. The tenth of February. Timestamp it. Knock it in, and we'll also, come back. Also, we're going to clip up the bit where you went Everton and the only team other than Arsenal to never be relegated, or whatever it was, because and that will be paid over and over again. Go down. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think. I'd, I, the other thing is, as well as a, as a non-Newcastle fan, but a football fan, I would quite like to see Newcastle stay in the Premier League to see what happens with all that money next year and who comes to St James's Park and how how far in the sort of ladder they can go with being the richest club in the world by about 4,000 million. So. Well, I think my final point on this, they've got something that no other club has, and that's St James's Park. Yeah. And as long as they can keep the fans on side and produce performances of the same energy as the game against Everton, then they have a massive advantage because you're not getting that atmosphere at Carrow Road. You're not getting that atmosphere at Vicarage Road. You're not getting that, you know, Turf Moor is obviously a difficult place to go and that will be key for Burnley as well to get points at home. I think those two teams, if they can get the home form moving, they've got chances. But uh, yeah, I think Burnley, like you say, Watford and one of Norwich and Brentford, and I'm siding with you on the Norwich side. 
the um, there was an incredible photo of some Maximan looking at the Gallagher, and it was just like, yeah, like that. yeah. Sent it to a friend of mine who's a Newcastle fan. I said, "Do you want to frame that picture?" Anyway, uh, from the stands at St James's Park to the tactics room, we head, and uh, Dean's got a treat for us this week. Well, we've touched on them briefly there, but they're going to be the focus of the tactics room today. And um, shock, but Dean signing with his his club, Everton, who have got Leeds coming to Goodison. What can we expect? Just get my swimming cap on for a deep dive into Lampard's <laughs> tactics. What well, does he do? Inter- Pardon? What does he do? Well, tactics. at Chelsea, he was much maligned for everyone saying he didn't have a clue and it was not really clear what he was trying to achieve. And with Everton, it's kind of been the complete opposite because he's coming and he's... He's laid down a new formation. He's gone with a 3-4-3, if you want to call it that, or a 3-4-2-1 with a box in midfield. And he's trying to make Everton play a little bit more. And this matchup against Leeds is massive. Everton's 16th, Leeds 15th. Leeds, another rock and roll performance against Villa. And, you know, Everton losing against Newcastle the weekend. The gap's four points, but Everton have a game in hand. So this game is massive for both teams. And Lampard's come in... You know, they're now on a run of no no winning six games. Um, the only win was against Arsenal in the last 15. So this is a really poor run. And obviously, Leeds, you've got this consistency. You've got them getting their players back from injury now, but they're still missing that spine of Cooper, Phillips and Bamford that, that, that served them so well last year. So Leeds are coming into a bit of form. Players are back. Rafinha's playing really well. Dan James is starting to score goals. Lampard's gone into Everton. He's changed to this 3-4-3. And he wants them to play. And from watching the first couple of games, my big problem with it is that he's got players in the defensive third that, that aren't really great at playing. Um, Michael Keane, Yeri Mina, not great in possession. Mina was injured against Newcastle, may miss the game. Branthwaite may come in if he stays with this three at the back. And when pressed, it's clear that they're going to give up the ball. And if they play back to Pickford, it's not really short and sharp. He's going to hit those big boomers that he likes to hit. And we're not going to pick up, uh, Everton are not going to pick up second balls. Unless Dominic Calvert-Lewin plays, you know, we have uh, Everton have no strength in the air. I'm going to stop saying we because I want to appear impartial. Um, it's too late for that. Mate. Yeah, I know, right? We, 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 we. Um, and I can see that, you know, Lampard wants to play with this box, but it's whether he's got the players to do it. Now, through centre midfield, Allen's a good ball player. Andre Gomez is OK, but there's no tempo. It's so slow. And in those inside pockets... When Pochettino played it really well with Spurs back in the Wanyama and Dembele days is when he had Ericsson and Ali in the pockets. Now, we brought in Van Der Beek and Ali. Now, I don't know if Lampard's forward thinking, thinking, OK, well, can I get Ali into one pocket on one side? Maybe Van Der Beek into the other, or maybe Van Der Beek a bit deeper to get us moving forward quicker. Um, but really, for me, the key for Lampard is, firstly, who to play at wing back and do we have players that can play at wing back? Um, Seamus Coleman on one side, does he have the legs to get up and down? Mylenko can do it on the left, but injured. Andros Townsend, not a great fit for me there. Uh, Anthony Gordon playing in the inside pockets, probably a little bit too dynamic. Wants to play 1v1 and be sharp, but his receiving and his passing skills, maybe not quite good enough. So I'm thinking, you know, the key for me, for, um, for Everton and Lampard, is can he get Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the same team? Can he play Calvert-Lewin at the top? Can he maybe play Richarlison and Ali in the pockets? Two centre midfielders get the fullbacks bombing on. But in this game, the real thing that's going to kind of drag me towards this as our tactic discussion is because Leeds love to go 1v1 with that high pressure, that high pressure to stop teams from playing out. And if Everton want to play with the players that they have and the dynamism they have in that defensive third, I really feel like Leeds can get on top of Everton, 
really forced them into lots of turnovers and win ball in those key areas high up the pitch where they can then uh, break and expose what is not a very dynamic Everton back line. The, uh, you, you touched on it briefly there, and I guess it, it kind of crosses over into what we were talking about earlier. But with regards to, to Leeds, um, we had a tweet in from HXLLY Burner wondering how many games there will be left with the season, um, with the end of the season drawing closer for Phillips, Bamford to have an impact on their overall finishing position at the moment. Because it's clear, and we've spoken about it before actually on this show, that they're massive misses for, for, for Leeds. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've really mi missed Phillips in that kind of pivot role to dictate the tempo of the game and to be that balance. They've tried Robin Cock in there. They've now gone to a two with Click and Cock. And up front, they've tried to play around with Rodrigo and played around with Dan James. And going into this game, it's like, right, how do they do it? Do they go with Dan James to get down the sides of centre-halves that maybe can't move mobility-wise? But with Dan James, my problem is that he makes runs, he gets wide a little bit too early. He's spent his whole career playing on the touchline and playing 1v1 and using his pace. And now he has to play inside the pitch, which anyone that knows, you know, who's played as a wide player and suddenly gets put in the middle of the pitch, it's very difficult to adapt playing 360 from playing from the outside to inside. Now, if they played Rodrigo to draw the centre-halves out and, you know, get Rafinha and Harrison running on the inside, maybe that would be an area that Leeds could exploit because... Everton in transition down the sides of those centre-halves are vulnerable and you're not getting a lot of mobility going the other way from the likes of um, Andre Gomez. Allen is competitive and will fight. But uh, this high-pressing 1v1 aggressive style, you know, Newcastle showed at St James's part that if you get on top of Everton and Lampard wants to play, uh, there could be real trouble um, for Everton in this game if they do try and play. And, you know, if the game starts to go away from them early, maybe lead score, you know, what are the Goodison Park crowd going to do? Are they going to turn? Is it going to become a really kind of volcanic, kind of crazy atmosphere where the fans are on top of the team already coming off that defeat uh, against Newcastle? And obviously only one win in 15, which was at Goodison Park. Uh, do you have any suggested bets then or any advice? Yeah, well, both teams struggle to defend set pieces. Everton are actually quite good at attacking set pieces. And I do think this will be very transitional. Now, Everton coming out of the Leeds game, uh, coming out of the Newcastle game, with injuries to Damari Gray, with injuries to Yeri Mina. Who fits in there? Does Deli Ali start? He was poor against Newcastle, didn't really get up to the tempo of the game. Donny van der Beek looked okay. But for me, I think here, with the two teams, how they are, the league positions, Goodison Park, full crowd, Lampard's first game in the Premier League at home, I think this is a game where there's going to be goals. So I would recommend that. Uh, the, goal, the goal line, 2.5, 2.75, I would be overs on that. And potentially even a bit on Leeds on the handicap. There will be maybe a big price at plus a half or plus a quarter. Uh, the safer money for me is on the goals. But if you fancied a little outside shot as well, I would fancy Leeds on the handicap because I do think this game could get away from Everton quickly. OK, in our Premier League preview this week, we're going to take a look at Spurs against Wolves and Antonio Conte after they lost to Southampton said that Tottenham suffer from mental instability um, another sort of punchy statement from Conte that's the second time he's sort of come out and criticised Spurs uh, how do you see this one shaping up? I think if you looked in the Oxford Dictionary under the phrase mental instability you would just see a picture of Emerson Royale and <laughs> uh, Regulion and then maybe a little coaching video on how to head the football <laughs> 
And also probably Davinson Sanchez being taken off for a walk with a blindfold on because he does love to wander around the pitch like a blind man every now and again. Reguilón miss as well. I didn't see lots of people talking about that afterwards, but he was clean through on goal. Great pass by Kane, and he missed an absolute... I mean, it was, a, it was a decent save, but he hit it straight at Forster. It was, you know, that well, obviously that, changes the game massively. That was a perfect example of what Spurs are good at, you know, that, that explosive ability yeah. to break with their front three, who I feel like, if they can get a run together, will be as valuable to Spurs as Mane, Salah and Yotta are to Liverpool. And a few people will probably shout at the screen and go, what are you talking about, man? You don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, coming off back-to-back defeats now, exposed by Southampton under the press, very narrow shape from Southampton, 4-2-2-2, really squeezed Spurs and they couldn't play Hoiberg and Winks right on top of the centre-halves. But when they can break it, those front three are so dynamic, wing-backs joining in, that tempo and that pace that they can play at is, is really good. And this game against Wolves will be a very different matchup for me. Wolves will be a lot more conservative, not as aggressive in the press, not as good at delivering crosses from those inside pockets as Southampton, getting around the outside to deliver balls, and really don't attack crosses well at all. So the areas where Spurs can be a little bit vulnerable are really not going to be exposed by Wolves here. Formation very similar, maybe a 3-5-2 as we talked about uh, in the preview of the Arsenal game that's coming up tonight. If it's a 2, then Son and Moore in those pockets on the outside of those two could cause real problems and the front three of Spurs can really expose the back three of Wolves, especially in transition. And also an additional part of this game to think about is that Wolves don't have that uh, plan B now. They don't have Triori on the counter-attack. So a lot of the game is going to be in front of Spurs, you know, which, which is going to suit them. And they looked a lot more balanced against Brighton last night. It was just not a good performance. I mean, they were exposed massively in those key areas that I just talked about. But uh, Wolves' area that they could get Spurs would be Podent's inside pocket around Davinson Sanchez, like I mentioned. The position of Emerson Royale isn't great. He's not sure ever to be in the line or be out, and Sanchez wanders. So they might be able to get Nori around the back with Podent's in the pockets. But I do think this is a game where Spurs' front three will be key to, uh, to them getting a victory. Yeah, it's always the case with them. Those are, they're quite heavily reliant on them, aren't they? Oh, massive. Massive. When you look at their, when you, yeah, when you look at their outputs, you know they've got 16 goals between them. They're the guys that carry the XG for the team. They're the guys that have the assists, nine assists between them. Lucas Moura adds that little bit of something different with his ability to dribble and his kind of uh, ability to go and press the ball. He has 60 dribbles for the team this season. Um, and you know, defensively, both teams uh, up until last night, and it and the market may shift actually tonight on the Arsenal game. So the reason I wanted to talk about this game is because what bet it right punters should look out for over the next couple of days is the price shift and the drift on Spurs. If their performance last night, or sorry, with their performance last night, if Wolves can have a positive result against Arsenal tonight, I could see the price for Wolves drift, uh, Spurs drifting and for them to become actually quite good value at the moment. They're about minus three quarters on the handicap market, but I think they might drift to minus a half. And at that point, I think they're a really good bet in this game because despite the Southampton game, the matchup with Wolves is far, far better and in Conte's favour. Yeah, and all that information um, that we're talking about, as we say it time and time again on this show, um, is available uh, for you. Um, it's all there. Betitright.com is the website address. Head to that and um, you can see it all for yourselves as well. OK, so that's just, um, is that the, the bet then? Keep an eye on the market and potentially Tottenham in this. 
Yeah, have a look at Tottenham. I liked Tottenham with a matchup even before last night's game. But I do think now that punters may be able to benefit from a better price. So it would be a game where I'd be looking to wait a couple of days, keep your eye on the price, see if Tottenham are drifting. Minus three quarters right now, you might be able to get them at minus a half. And I do think it's a much better matchup. And you know that Conte is on the training pitch today, bashing some heads, <laughs> delivering some crosses and making people head the ball for three days. Um, so I, I would be very surprised if we don't see a, a much different performance against Wolves at the weekend. In the Championship, probably the sexiest touchline of them all this weekend. West Brom versus Blackburn, Steve Bruce versus Tony Mowbray. Well, um, before, you know, I didn't want to talk about this game purely because it's Valentine's Day. But <laughs> there isn't, there isn't, there's something quite romantic about two old centre halves with, you know, good old faces, bruise his nose, Mowbray's nose, and just Valentine, a Valentine's Day loving at, uh, at the Hawthorns. I mean, what more could you want? If anyone out there, if any Bedit Right users are struggling for something to do with their girlfriend, you know, West Brom, Blackburn Rovers on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Did I tell you? Have I, t I can't remember if I've told the story about Steve Bruce and my dad on, on this show before. Have, I, have you heard it? No. Talk to me. The dad, dad's a talk sport, you know, whatever, reporter, as you know. But he's also a Villa fan. And that's the third team that he's ever supported in his life. It's, it's bizarre anyway. He, when Steve Bruce was Villa, dad was sort of became the like spokesperson for Villa fans on the radio and spent the best part, I'd say, of about a year calling for Steve Bruce to be sacked. Right. And it was gathering momentum. And then eventually he did get sacked. And about a week later, after the sacking, we went to a, an awards do in London. And whoever did the table plan deserves an absolute medal because dad was sat next to Mr. Bruce. And on his right was Mrs. Bruce, who proceeded <laughs> to spend the whole lunch going... <laughs> You got my husband sacked, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad is one of the most awkward men on the planet anyway. But watching him during that lunch was an absolute delight for me. I was having the time of my life. Anyway, that's my Steve <laughs> story. But he was a gentleman when I met him. I hope he does well at West Brom. They are struggling at the moment, though. They lost to Sheffield United. They're on a bad run. Yeah, they are on a bad run. Um, both teams having a little bit of a rocky spell. Both teams had red cards in midweek in their respective defeats against Sheffield United and, and Forest, 2-0. Two teams that are both very much on the up and ones to look out for in the championship to make the playoffs and maybe even automatic promotion. But yeah, one win in eight games. Valerian Ishmael obviously got the sack. Really weird style that he was playing at West Brom. Very direct, like he was still at Barnsley. You know, played that at Barnsley, up and at you, in your face, brought Daryl DK in on loan and then signed him for West Brom kept the same style and they just weren't getting results and weren't scoring goals. And DK pulled his hamstring, he's out for 10 games straight away after his big money move, which is a, is a huge problem for them. So what do you do when you need a striker? You need goals in the championship. You go and get Andy Carroll. Welcome back. Who are you going to so, call? Exactly. Well, the, the question is, you know, is Andy Carroll going to be able to play 90 minutes every week? Carlin Ahern Grant's been their main centre forward, has got 10 goals and is a lively player. But that target player that they clearly want, that Steve Bruce likes, as we know, you know, will he be able to play more than, you know, more than every other week, you know, especially in the championship where there's midweek games and 
Talking about strikers flipping the other side, Ben Brereton Diaz was away with Chile. He's now back. The question for me about Blackburn has been: Have they been overperforming? You know, their league position. You know, they're up there in third, but I think that they've probably been overperforming, and the XG and the goals would suggest it as well. They're overperforming on goals, and they're also overperforming defensively. Teams aren't taking chances against them, which, as we know in football. That's what we talk about, right? We talk about probability. We talk about the likelihood of things happening. At some point, it's going to happen. And right now, they've lost three out of the last five. Both Rothwell and Ben Brereton Diaz are out of contract in the summer. So maybe that's on their mind. I think Bournemouth were in for Rothwell in the window. And, you know, Ben Brereton Diaz has scored 20 goals. But again, only from 15 XG. So is he overperforming as well? So this is an interesting matchup between two teams that need to get their seasons back on, back on track to have a chance of of being in with a shout, especially when you've got your Sheffield Uniteds and uh, your Forests, you know, on the on the rails, on the chase. And and Bournemouth had a, a great window as well and have now got back-to-back wins and, and look like they're back in the sweet spot again. Well, Todd Cantwell going there is a good signing. Well, they've um, got Cantwell, they've got Kiefer Moore at centre-forward. You know, Scott Parker, everyone said it was maybe a bit of panic buying, but I think, you know, two wins out of two speaks for itself and it's going to be tough to break into that group. But a, a potential bet for this game for me, at 1-0, I don't think either team goes for it. Bruce needs a win. Blackburn needs to get their season back on. Um, you know, it's Valentine's Day. They'll have their minds will be elsewhere. So I think a potential bet for this could be under 2.5. A bit of a bore fest at the Hawthorns uh, for all those lovers out there. Massive week of football in Serie A, actually. A massive week. Massive weekend, I should say. There's... Um... Basically, top of the table clashes. Napoli against Inter, Atalanta, Juve, not quite top of the table, but it's an important game with regards to the outrights for Serie A, important weekend. Um, what can you tell us about what's going to happen in Italy this weekend? Yeah, it's like you say, it's massive. You've got Atalanta, who are fifth, nine points behind third. You've got Juventus, who are fourth, seven points behind third. And then at the top, it's 53, 52, 52. And it's, you know, Juve... All right. Uh, yeah, Inter top, and then... Napoli, Milan on goal difference. But Juve were dead. They were dead. Before Allegri came back in, no one was talking about them being part of the, the title race. But because you've got that matchup this weekend, if Juve beat Atalanta, maybe there's a draw in the other game, or you know, maybe that would be the ideal result for them, right? For it to go into 54, Napoli 53. And suddenly, uh, you know, they're getting closer and, and they've closed that gap again. They're only seven points behind third right now. Atalanta... One win in six games, really struggling, had a massive COVID outbreak, had 10 unbeaten, COVID outbreak, one win in the last six, playing fringe players and kids, and now they've got injuries to Zapata and Musso suspended, and they've had three times, uh, three nil-nil draws in the last six games, and they are like the goal kings, they're the guys we love, the great entertainers, and the wheels have fallen off for them, and Juve unbeaten in 10 games. In a previous show, we talked about them winning 2-0 every week and how it kills, uh, it makes it real sweat on the goal line if you're betting on Juve, two and a half, two and a quarter, overs, unders. And they've had six 2-0s in the last 10 games. They're right back into that Juve. And, you know, last week we talked about the January signings. Vlavic and Zakaria both scored at the weekend in their 2-0 win against Verona. Potentially injured Zakaria, Chiellini as well. But... You know, Juve in the last 12 versus the first 12 of the season are just a complete contrast from a numbers perspective in that sweet spot. 
And I do think that they are massive value at draw no bet, which you can get 1.91 right now. Um, that may, you know, they may shorten towards the weekend, depending on the, the injury news. But I do think them away at Atalanta draw no bet is, is a great bet for this weekend. OK, that's um, that's good to know. The, uh, the the title race in Serie A is probably of all the major European leagues, the only one that has, I say the only one, um, it, it's the most interesting because I, I still think that there would be hope and Juventus have come back into the picture. So sort of three or four teams can actually still win Serie A, whereas in the other leagues, it's it's basically done in most of them. Um, maybe one or two teams here or there. But um, it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. Juventus, um, a good bet by Dean this weekend, draw no bet at Atalanta. What else is going on in Europe? There's a, a big game in Portugal, is that right? First and second, Porto Sporting? Yeah, this is the this is the basic final shootout for the league title, I think. First versus second. Sporting haven't won this fixture since 2007, which doesn't bode well. And you'd like to think that they need to win this game. Um Porto has six points ahead. A win takes them nine points clear of second place. And that would probably be the end of the season, given that as to date, Porto haven't lost a game. 19 wins and two draws this season, trying to get another unbeaten season as they have, as they have done in the past. Um, you know, and I did a bit of research on this and Benfica are actually unbeaten. They've got the best unbeaten run ever in Portugal. How many games do you reckon they, they were unbeaten for? Just give us a guess. And yeah. 15, 20. Not well. Uh, Porto have been unbeaten for 21 already, oh. and they can <laughs> be unbeaten. And they've been unbeaten for a whole season before, which is 34. So it's got to be more than that. There you go. Who's been unbeaten for a whole season before? And Invincibles in Portugal. Oh, a couple of times. And Benfica and Portugal. Really? Yeah, Porto have done it a couple of times. Yeah. See, I'm such a sort of fair weather fan. I only concentrate on Arsenal being the Invincibles. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's say 55 then. That is. For, for your for the worst ever first guess in history, <laughs> your second guess is unbelievably close. Fifty six. Really? Yeah, between October seventy six and September seventy eight. Amazing. Might, I mean, almost as amazing as how bad my first guess was. When I think about that, I mean, it just couldn't have been worse. I mean, like, given that I told you Porto were unbeaten in twenty one this season, your first yeah. guess is fifty. <laughs> <laughs> but also as well, like. We can cut mid, that out, mid, right? Mid, mid day, yeah, we're, we're definitely editing that for the second guess. But but mid mid table teams in England probably go on unbeaten runs of like eight or nine. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah, just loads but, of draws. Anyway, but um, yeah, but with Diaz leaving to Liverpool, Vitinha, who was on loan at Wolves last uh, uh, on loan at Wolves last season, is a big player for them coming in. Uh, you know, Sporting won the league last year. They've only lost one game. If you look at the attacking stats for both teams. Massive, massive XG, massive goals for both teams. Neither team concedes either. And from the mindset from Sporting going into this game, it's almost like they can't lose because Benfica are right there for the second Champions League spot in third place. So the manager's going to be going in thinking, well, do I, do I want to hold on to the Champions League spot or do I want to try and win the league? Is that six points too much? So it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult one to kind of th think about. But for me, Porto at home, um, haven't lost this game since 2007. Unbeaten all season. They are even money um, at home to win the game. Unbeaten in 15 games. <laughs> Unbeaten at home. Um, Porto are even money. And the goal line is 2.5. And they're or thereabouts on even money as well. And given that I think Sporting will have to try and force this game, they've been a lot more open in recent games uh, than they'd started the season where they were quite defensive. 
uh, last eight or so games, you've seen their XG rise, their XG conceded rise. So I think that actually Porto and the overs is not a bad shot in this game, which which should be an absolute banger. I'm going to blame my guess on the world's worst hangover that I've had for the last 48 hours. <laughs> um, go steady on me. OK, brilliant stuff. So um, that's about it, isn't it, for, for this week? I think we're done and dusted. I very much like the confidence you're sort of installing on Juve at Atalanta. Um, your bullishness with regards to that has lured me into having a, having a go at that, I think. Um, is that your bet of the week, if you had to have one? Um, well, I, 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 I kind of like quite a few bets this week. And, and you know, the Leeds-Everton game, the overs there, I think, will blow up. I think Spurs, uh, Spurs will do a job on Wolves with good value. The Valentine's Day love-in at the Hawthorns would be the one would be, you know, probably lower down on my pecking list. Uh, and then the Serie A bet, yeah, the Juve draw no bet. And, and the, Port in, the Porto Sporting, there's loads of great games this weekend. Loads of good football on show. And punters need to get on, bet it right. Spend some time looking at statistics. Build those ackers. Build those little trebles. Use our data and, and use the provision that's there. And, and like we always say, this is completely free. Share with your friends. Retweet. Sign up. Use it to your advantage and fill your pockets with cash. That's what we're here for. Yeah, well said. It's completely free. It's all there for you. Uh, and it's good fun as well. Um, Dean, thank you, mate. Great to see you. Pleasure. Uh, we'll see always. you next week, same time, same place. Yeah. Well, for me, different place and a different time because I won't be in Barbados next week, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I'll still be here, sat in this room, same as every week, looking forward to, looking forward to talking to you again. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Betitride.com is the website. Um, follow us on Twitter as well, BIR Insights, BIR prompts for your... Um, all your updates throughout the course of what should be another very enjoyable weekend of football. We'll see you next time.